Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. The pictures in the first part of Exodus present a portrait of life in the world under Satan's usurpation. God said to Pharaoh, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. God's people had fallen into a worldly life under Satan. So God spoke, and acted in a severe way to ultimately rescue his people. How about God's people today? Many are still under the occupation of today's Pharaoh, and God is still demanding, let my people go. Please stay with us for this extraordinary life study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Equipping God's people to escape the tyranny of Satan is a classic component of the ministry of these two men in this century. Today's exposition of Exodus chapter 7 is very much in that context, and joining us to fellowship about it is Ed Marks. And this portion also brings us to one of the hallmarks of this ministry, doesn't it? Yes, Chris, it does. And this whole picture in the book of Exodus is a picture of God's eternal purpose and of how the Lord brings us into his purpose. You know, firstly, we see that the children of Israel were in Egypt. And they were under Pharaoh's domination and usurpation. Actually, Pharaoh signifies Satan. Egypt signifies the world, which is Satan's kingdom. We were all in the world under Satan's domination. We were in captivity, and we were under Satan's usurpation. He was usurping us and usurping our time that should be used for God's interests. But we know that God came in to redeem his people in a marvelous way through the feast of the Passover, which signifies Christ. Christ is the Passover lamb, and through his blood we were redeemed, and by receiving him into us, they had to eat that lamb. When we received Christ into us as the lamb of God, he came into us to be our life, and as our life, he energized us to move out of Egypt. God's people passed through the Red Sea, they entered into the wilderness, and the ultimate goal of Pharaoh, signifying Satan, letting God's people go, is that God's people would be brought into the good land and enjoy the riches of the good land so that they could build God's temple for his expression. In New Testament terms, God wants to bring us into all the riches of Christ so that the body of Christ can be built up for his expression and for his dwelling place. So this is why this brings us to the hallmark of this ministry. And there are two places in Scripture particularly that I can think of that are well known for touching this matter of plagues. We have this portion in Exodus. Then there's another portion in the New Testament. We're going to hear about how these two sections are really connected in this first portion. Let's join Witness Lee. In order to unveil to us the real situation of the world life, this book 
used twelve conflicts between Jehovah and Pharaoh. The first one had no miracle and no plague, no judgment. The first one was merely a kind of a negotiation on both sides. The second conflict actually was a conflict only with miracles, but no plague yet. It was only a kind of exposure, no judgment yet. It was from the servant, the plague came in. And every one of these last ten was a plague. These ten plagues are of four groups. The first group is composed of one, two, three. The same way, the second group is also composed one, two, three. And the third, the same, one, two, three. Leaving the fourth group, just one. So in total, you have ten plagues. Well, the first group, you could say, the first one, I use this word, blood. The water becoming blood. And then the second one, the frogs. The water not only became blood, but the water produced the troublesome frog. And then something came from the earth, the dust. Small things comes into your hair. The second growth begins with what? Flies. Flies are very good to bring in the germs. Then what? Millions of the beasts. A kind of sickness because of the germs brought in by the flies. Then the people seek out boils on their body. This is another group. And this group went down further. Not just trouble you, this hurt you. The third group begins with hills. Hills came down from the heavens to destroy the living environment. Then you have the locusts to eat up all your crops. And then, darkness. This indicated what? That the whole living environment was destroyed. Then lastly, the killing of the firstborn. Then these terminated the worldly life. If you would go on to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in chapter 16, you could see the seven plagues, the seven lost and ultimate plagues God will perform on this earth at the end of the great tribulation, which will be three and a half years. Which seven plagues are called the seven bulls? If you compare these ten plagues with those seven plagues, in many aspects, they are familiar one to another. Why? Because it was through these ten plagues that God performed an exodus for his children people in ancient time.
But I tell you, in the coming time, during the great tribulation, within those three and a half years, God will perform another seven plagues to carry out the last exodus of his people. A kind of exodus will be carried out by God through the seven plagues. All his children people will get out of the world. Ed, I think we need to know the similarity or relationship between the plagues that were part of these conflicts in Exodus and the plagues mentioned in Revelation. Is there another Exodus in store for the people of God? Yes, there is, Chris. And what we'll see is that in Exodus, there were 10 plagues. And through these 10 plagues on Pharaoh and on his Egyptian kingdom, This is the way the exodus of God's people from Egypt was accomplished. And again, God's people's exodus from Egypt signifies the believers in Christ making an exodus from the world, which is Satan's kingdom, to come out from Satan's domination, Satan's captivity, and Satan's usurpation. Now, when we come to Revelation 16, we also see that God sends seven plagues on the kingdom of this world, which is actually the kingdom of Antichrist. And in Revelation 16, these seven plagues are called the seven bowls of the fury of God. This will take place toward the end of the Great Tribulation. And Chris, the similarity here is that these plagues also will enable God's people to make their final exodus from the world. Now, Chris, What we see here is that, you know, if you look earlier, this is in Revelation 16. In Revelation 14, we see that the overcomers are signified by the first fruits of the harvest. We want to be these overcomers who ripen early. That means we mature in life early. We give ourselves to the Lord day by day so that he could grow in us. Well, the first fruits are taken by the farmer before the general harvest takes place. He takes those first fruits into his house to enjoy them. We want to be those first fruits to God. At the end of Revelation, we see that the majority of God's people will be harvested by God, raptured by God, at the end of the Great Tribulation. Well, it's at the end of the Great Tribulation that God sent these seven bowls of his fury, seven plagues, to enable all of his people to make their final exodus from the world. But Chris, I would say this, we want to be the overcomers who make our exodus from this world day by day, who enjoy Christ as everything to us. Even today, we're living in the world, but we're not of the world. We're one with Christ to overcome this world so that we can be his overcomers to satisfy his desire. Ed, in this portion just ahead, we're going to look at the second conflict, which was really the first miracle in this series, and we find it recorded in Exodus 7, verses 8 through 12, which I'd like to read. And Jehovah spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Perform a wonder, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, so that it becomes a serpent. And Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and they did as Jehovah had commanded, And Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret spells. That is, each one threw down his staff, 
and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Let's go again to Witness Lee. The second conflict on God's side, God commanded Aaron to cast the rod before Pharaoh and his servants. Then the rod became a serpent. I don't know whether by that time Pharaoh and his servants realized the meaning of that miracle or not. What is the significance of such a miracle? It simply shows or reveals or exposes to Pharaoh and his servants that the life they were living was one under Satan's usurping hand. They rely upon the natural sources or resources. They rely upon the rich supply from now. That was the raw. Actually, what they relied upon was a conserpent, was the devil. To them, they relied upon the supplies of the Nile. But in God's eyes, they were relied upon Satan, the devil. They were under the usurping hand of Satan. This was a mercy. God's mercy was there, unveiling the real nature of the living to them, that they may know that whatever they relied upon was of the devil. They should stop that kind of living. They should give up that kind of living. Then on Pharaoh's side, Pharaoh asked the Egyptian magicians to do the same thing. The magicians here just equal today's philosophers. And they can teach the same thing. Our gospel preaching exposes the real nature of the fallen life. The philosophical teachings also do the same thing. The good news was that Aaron's rod saw up all the other rods. The gospel preaching swallows up all the philosophical teachings. You be assured don't be threatened. Don't be discouraged. Go out that you have a rod that can swallow up all the philosophical rods. Nothing can overcome the gospel. But the gospel will swallow up all kinds of philosophies. At Hallelujah, Aaron's rod swallows up all the others. Ed, comment on this story and also how Witness Lee connected it to the preaching of the gospel. The first thing we need to see, Chris, is that a rod signifies whatever we rely on. And, of course, Moses cast down his rod. The rod became a serpent. This was a sign to Pharaoh and to all the Egyptians that what they were relying on was Satan. And they were living a life under Satan's usurpation And they were possessed by Satan. Actually, this sign exposed the true nature of Egyptian living. It's a living, a life of relying on Satan. We want to come out from this kind of life. Here, Moses throws down his rod, it becomes a serpent. And then the magicians throw down their rods and become a serpent. You're there, what is this? 
But, praise the Lord, Moses' rod, which became a serpent, swallowed up those other rods. And this is very significant. We can say that today's magicians are the philosophers of the world. And actually, the philosophers of the world, with their philosophies, they can expose the true nature of the world to a certain extent the way the gospel does. Philosophers know that the things in the world, just like Solomon said, are vanity of vanities. And they can talk about this, the emptiness of materialism, the emptiness of worldly pursuits, how everything is vanity. But when we preach the gospel, we are telling people what God's heart's desire is, to bring you out from the domination of Satan and to fill you with himself in the person of Christ so that Christ can be your content, Christ can be your reality, Christ can be your everything for the building up of Christ's body, which is the building up of God's dwelling place for God's expression in this universe. When we preach the gospel, we are telling people the meaning of the universe. And this gospel rod swallows up every philosophical rod. This is marvelous, absolutely marvelous. Ed, I really have to agree with you. Philosophy can, to an extent, expose and enlighten people as to the vanity of all these worldly pursuits. But what philosophy can never do, and you use this word, is fill us up. That's the unique portion of this wonderful gospel, isn't it? Exactly, Chris. When Christ comes into you, you're no longer empty. You become a person full of meaning. And Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. So God came to trouble him for the third time. In verse 19, chapter 7, And Jehovah said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take up your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over the water courses, and over their pools and over all their reservoirs of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. And here again is Witness Lee. The first time God came in to demand, you neglected. The second time God came in to expose the real meaning of your life, you still wouldn't care for. Then this forced God to charge Moses and Aaron to rise up early in the morning to go to the riverside to meet Pharaoh. What Pharaoh was doing there, no doubt, he was relaxing. He was having good time. All of a sudden, two troublemakers came to meet the relaxing Pharaoh, to give him a hard time while he was having a good time. This is the beginning of the plague. And this is the beginning of the punishment. And this is the beginning of the destruction of the Egyptian life. And this is the beginning to destroy the worldly enjoying life. It's very meaningful. The Egyptian life was a type of today's world life. In the eyes of God, under his judging rod, it only issues in blood. That means the world life only issues in death. Let me check with you. Would you please tell me, was this a punishment 
to the Egyptians or what? You see, if they would repent, this was not a punishment. This was a kind of exposing. If they would not repent, the exposing became what? Punishing. Today, in a good sense, our gospel preaching also do the same thing. If the sinners would receive this preaching, these preachings are just exposes them. If they would not, all the preachings would become judgment. God is merciful and God is wise. God is wise and God is merciful. He didn't uh, perform the first plague to kill the Egyptians. He turned all the waters into blood. This didn't kill them. But this did bother them. And did warn them. And did expose them. You see, it was a kind of a warning. It was kind of exposing. Then whether this will turn out good to you or not, it depends on you. If you repent, if you receive God's mercy, this is very good. If not, this is what the kind of punishment. God is very wise and very merciful. Ed, I was impressed here both with what is signified and also with the matter of what the plague becomes to us, either an exposing, or a judgment or punishment. And it all depends on how we respond. Comment on this tremendous portion, Ed. When this plague came to Egypt, what this showed is that the life of Egypt, signifying the life of the world, is a life of blood, signifying a life of death. The worldly entertainment and pleasures result in death. And you know, Chris, we can testify that even as unbelievers— When we were engaging in the entertainment, the pleasure, the sinful pursuits of this world, there was just death in our being. You just consider when you were an unbeliever and you were at a party or something, everybody was seemingly happy. But if you really watched the people, you could see moments when you could see the sadness in them, the emptiness, which shows that the entertainment and pleasure of this world results in death. Now, Chris, here we are. We're believers. How does this apply to us? Well, when we got saved, we came out of Egypt. But regretfully, Egypt didn't come out of us. So God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness to change their Egyptian constitution. In the same way, we have to confess that much of our constitution is still Egyptian. It's still worldly. And sometimes we long for the things of the world. When we indulge in worldly pleasure, at that moment, many times, the water becomes blood. That means it becomes death. And then we realize, Lord Jesus, what am I doing? I should be enjoying you. You're my pleasure. You're my enjoyment. You're my entertainment. Lord, forgive me. Well, when the water becomes blood, when we get deadened in our being, this is an exposure to us. It exposes the true nature of worldly pleasure, and it becomes a merciful warning to us. Don't go back to the world. Enjoy Christ. Chris, even when we preach the gospel, in our gospel preaching, there's a shining on the world, which is Satan's kingdom, usurping people, possessing people. If people take the word of the gospel and they repent, 
It's not a punishment to them. It's a merciful warning to them. But if they reject the word of the gospel, then that death, which is the issue of sin, which comes into their being, that becomes a terrible punishment to them. These are with the unbelievers, even more with believers. If we participate in worldly pleasure, we go back to the sinful pleasure of this world. If God enlightens us to show us, look what you're in. Look, you are drinking death. You're drinking the blood of this world. That is a merciful warning to us to repent at that time. Of course, if we don't repent, we harden our hearts, then that death in our being becomes a punishment to us. The way to escape the death of this world that comes in through worldly entertainment and pleasure is we have to enjoy Christ. God's will for us is that Christ would be our entertainment. Christ would be our pleasure. Christ would be our enjoyment. And Chris, right now, as we're fellowshipping the Christ we've seen in the Word with one another, we are here enjoying Christ. This is God's will for the believers. And this enjoyment of Christ is what builds up his body. This enjoyment of Christ is what causes us to grow in life, to become mature in life for the building up of his body, to bring him back a second time. So to me, this is a marvelous picture that can be a big help to us. It really can, Ed. As people who are not yet transformed, we're going to experience the water becoming blood from time to time. But if we take the warning and turn back, then it's just that to us. It's a warning. If we endeavor and stay in it, it becomes a judgment. This is quite a picture, once again, from the book of Exodus. Ed, thank you for your fellowship today. I'm looking forward to the next broadcast, Chris. Thank you. Please call us. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. We very much enjoy your email messages as well. Today for Ed Marks, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you'd like to read the works of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, just visit our website, ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll find over 600 complete titles available to read online free of charge. Witness Lee's ministry stood squarely on the shoulders of his mentor and co-worker, Watchman Nee as well as those of countless ministers of the New Testament throughout the ages. The riches contained in his life study of the Bible represent the top, the cream of his 70-plus years of ministry and range in topic from lessons for new believers to commentary and exposition on passages from every book of the Bible. But they all contain practical and deeper truths about the Christian life. Again, this wonderful online resource is available to you free of charge at ministrybooks.org. If you have questions or comments about this ministry or the program you heard today, email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. 
888. Thanks for listening today.